Welcome back to The Hustle Podcast. Usually I talk with product leaders and design leaders, but today I have a very different kind of guest. For those of you that know me, you know that I treat my company and all of our programs like a product. And one of the best tools that I have to do that is uh, having a support system of people that can help me out with a lot of different leadership-oriented stuff. Today I'm joined with Jen Derry. She's the founder of Plucky and is an awesome leadership coach. Her company, Plucky, works with individuals and companies to create healthy dynamics at work, from coaching to consulting. Plucky helps leaders, managers, teams, and employees find ways to be successful together. Because the truth is, as she says, we're all still learning. Jen and I have been working together for, I don't know, a year or two now. And the kinds of conversations that we have and the things we talk about are just awesome. And I thought that it would be really good to have her on the, on the show and, and unpack some of the stuff that it really does affect teams. So Jen, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners and then maybe tell us about Plucky and what the company's mission is and what you do every day. Sure. Hi. Hello, listeners. So I'm Jen and I run Plucky from Berkeley, California, which is where I live with my husband and two little sons. I run Plucky from home at this point. It's just me and I do have an awesome assistant who helps to handle the logistical stuff day to day. But what my work is most days is leadership coaching. So I I do that always via Zoom, actually. And that means that I'm talking to people who are either currently in management roles, or moving towards management or leadership roles. So they're emerging leaders. And it's in a confidential context to talk about some of the hardest parts of that job. And I think we'll probably get into specifics about what's hard about managing humans. But it can be really good to have somebody who is third party who's not in the org chart, and who has no jurisdiction over whether you get a raise or get denied a raise, nothing like that. It can be really good to talk to somebody like that. And I spend my non-coaching hours with Plucky leading workshops. Sometimes I go on annual retreats with companies and teach workshops about how to have hard conversations, how to make your own career path, things like that. But my biggest initiative lately started last year and I run a two-day workshop every quarter called So Now You're a Manager because I really felt like there was major space in the market for a culturally appropriate solution for emerging leaders to gather for a couple days and learn some of the intricacies of human relationships. And so that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. Uh, That's awesome. Why don't you talk a little bit more about the So Now You're a Manager event? What kind of folks go to that? Well, what's really funny, actually, Anthony, is that I, so obviously I'm coming from kind of a tech background, not because I'm technical, but because that is agency life, you know, where I sort of got my start in employee development stuff. And so one thinks, oh, this is a tech conference. And it kind of is. I mean, there's a lot of designers and developers who have moved into management roles who come. It's explicitly for folks who are less than five years into their management career. But I I make a really hard push to make sure we diversify that crowd too. So I always comp a ticket for a nonprofit to attend as one of the 20 attendees. I think it's really important for us, especially in the tech space who, you know, a lot of us have very or access to much bigger budgets than a nonprofit ever would. And it's helpful and grounds the room that everybody realizes like, oh, wait a second, actually the management work that we're all doing is very similar regardless of, you know, what company is sort of stamped on your paycheck. So we have a nonprofit presence. And, you know, I've also started to see some like, maybe I'll say like cousin verticals to tech start attending. So media and advertising and certainly product companies come a bunch what else is coming in next month? I got a couple charter schools. So education are starting to send people. And it's always like really exciting when there's a diverse group of people together because they realize that, oh my gosh, you have the same problems as me. And it is not that I'm not a good manager. It's just that this 
stuff is hard. Yeah. Well, maybe let's start there. Let's start at the top level. Like, what are what are the most common challenges that leaders are facing, at least in terms of the aggregate of the, the folks you work with? So I think I'll break that up into two thoughts. The first is people kind of at your level, right? So people who are either founders or who are have the keys to the kingdom in their hand, they kind of can make all the executive decisions as needed. For you all, I think what I hear a lot about is how to create vision for where you're going and how that vision matches or doesn't match the people that are already on the boat. <laughs> and, yeah. and also just the confidence to make that vision. Like, who are you? God? Yes. Actually in those tiny circumstances, you, <laughs> you are, you know, you do get to call the shots, but that's a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility to, to feel confident in the ways you can dictate market, you know, in the next three years, like that's hard stuff. So having somebody talk about that is pretty common. Equally, I I think this is across the board, not just for folks at the highest ranks, but confidence and just knowing yourself and knowing what you want. I think what is true, again, across the board is the sense of creator grief, particularly in our vertical where, you know, folks used to be the makers, they made the thing, they designed the thing, or they Mm -hmm. coded the thing. And now they don't do that anymore. And so that identity quest is really tricky. Like, who am I now that I I manage the paperwork for the people that make the things? There's not only, you know, a change in what your day-to-day calendar looks like, but definitely the way you feel successful or not at the end of the day, and how your creativity itches scratched, and all the ways that you saw yourself in your career going, it just really changes to a new ballpark. And I think there's a lot of space there to get creative about realizing that you actually are still designing, right? You're designing a team and you can think about the different people on the team as yes. feature sets and, you know, who who might we pull into this team next to make sure that we're, you know, moving in the right direction. But I definitely always give a lot of space for that grief that happens and try to route people towards other, whether it's side projects or other, you know, extracurriculars on the weekends and evenings to make sure that they are not fully leaving that feeling behind. When it comes to the newer managers, oh man, I mean, I think it's definitely this major question of like, am I moving in the right path? Did I just screw up my whole life by saying yes to management? And equally, is this the only way I will ever make more money, right? Like we have this kind of synonymous feeling with career path these days that in order to move anywhere in your path, your career path, you've got to go up the rank of management. And I think that's busted and old school and no longer true for a lot of more modern companies that there are definitely two paths at least one of which is towards mentorship and managing, but another is towards like a really deep expertise in a field where you become a thought leader and a speaker and a writer and those sorts of things. And I think they're both really valid. And for companies that embrace seniority in both directions, you're going to retain people a lot longer because they're going to see that there's not just one way to do things. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So much, so much to unpack there. Um, just to respond <laughs> to what you said. Um, Please. Yes, uh, Absolutely. Create, knowing how to create and communicate vision is probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to learn how to do. Yeah. And it's because, you know, I, you know, there's a lot, a lot of reasons, but it, it's a, it's a completely different skill. And you also have to, you know, you know, if you're working with the leadership team, it has to, it has to be communicated in a way that really makes sense. And furthermore, like, even if you do, if, even if you can communicate it, there, someone gave me an interesting quote the other day, the, the quote was something like, people hear you the first time, the seventh time you tell them. And oh. 
and uh, and it, but it's really hard to create vision, right? And then and communicate it, and then recommunicate it, and recommunicate it, and recommunicate, it, and then create goals around that, and hold people accountable. It's really really tricky stuff. And if you're you know if you're a designer that or an engineer that creates a company, you know you're not really thinking about having to do that, right? Chances are you're like you're just trying to like you said use your you know the the skills that you know are paying the bills to start a company. And the other thing about you know your point on designing teams, I, that's also really relevant to me because and you know I was going through a lot of deep depression before I before we started our, our coaching relationship where I almost there was a point in times where I almost quit the company because I wasn't designing and I felt like I didn't need to be on the payroll. Yeah. But once I realized that like the program of employee experience and the disciplines and all the things that we were creating was 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 actually design challenges, it really really changed everything. Then on your point of management, yeah. I mean, I see it a lot, you know, you know, being that I hire a lot of people, you know, people are so eager to get that, you know, first sort of creative director job or whatever, but they don't really realize what that job entails. Or they, like you said, they think that the only way that they can grow is to go down management track. And that's something that I that I wanted to be proactive about. Like I never I never wanted someone to choose a management track because they felt that was the only way to like they were going to grow. So yeah, I had to we had to we had to make sure that people could grow as independent contributors as well. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like that I I, I think that I, I agree with you. Like that, those are really meaty stuff. And as segue into a uh, good segue into the next question. Well, wait before you go there, can I push you on something? Okay, yeah. Sure. So even your thought about going back to the idea of needing to create vision, right, for a company, and that that's definitely part of your job these days. I wonder, I've never been a designer, but I wonder if there's any metaphor underneath this that you feel could be relevant for designers who are listening, where actually they they are definitely creating vision for something, and they need to convince a client about it usually, right? And is there anything that you pull from in your previous experience as a designer that you leverage as a fundamental leader with regard to company vision, even though it's not made of pixels? I'll try the best I can. And, uh, you know, I have yeah. to, ca- you know, for those listening, and I'm not a seasoned CEO. I'm, I just was a designer that started a business and had a decent business model and people hire us and we're lucky enough to have cash in the bank to, to be thinking about creating a vision. But I, I think, yeah, there's a couple of like frameworks I'm a, you know, obviously I'm a big believer in the sort of why, like the getting to the why. I, I don't, I really don't think that people want to work for your company or your team or buy your products or services or, or hire your agency because of what you do. They, uh, all these decisions are made because why you do it. And so I think for me, the, the most critical element, which is similar to say like designing a product, right? Yeah. There, it has to solve a core need. And there has to be a real tangible need or emotional desire to want to associate yourself with it. And I think that's similar for creating vision because you can't really create vision until you know your why. And then you have to create core values. And then you have to make all these decisions based on that. For example, we redefined our why. It hasn't changed much, but it's very defined, like why we exist and why we're going to do this. And one of those things is it aligns to our core vision of uh, or you call like maybe a product principle of, well, mm. collaboration is king, right? So that indicates to us that like, okay, we're not going to do staff augmentation because that's not collaboration. That doesn't align with our vision. We're not going to grow that way. You know, some some of those things, right? Some uh, leveraging some of those tactics of like, you know, designing delightful products, you know, and making hard product decisions are in, in a way it's kind of similar. But, you know, in, yeah. in dreaming, right? The true north, like 
if you're designing a product, you know, you can't just be thinking about what you're doing this week or next month or next quarter. You have to be doing this week, next month, and this quarter, but you also have to be thinking about where you're going where this product or program or company is going to be next year, three years later, five years out. And you have to dream big to have something to work towards because if you don't dream big enough, you're you're never I don't think you can sort of reach the height that you really need to get to whether you're designing a product or a company. So I try to like yeah. think of it that way. I mean, I think what's really beautiful about that is that I t- obviously totally agree with you. I think you need a North Star. I think you need a big direction. It helps to leverage and align everybody along the way. But there's also the hilarious reality that your giant, beautiful dream every once in a while on like a Tuesday morning is going to totally be counteracted in a tiny decision, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's real too. That even when you're presenting designs to a client and they say, you know, I really hate the pink. Can we change that to orange or whatever? Like fundamentally, no, that's not what the picture looks like. Right. And, but every once in a while, perhaps there are tiny concessions that we have to make along the way. And I really feel like actually a big part of my job as the coach is to be able to laugh about that with somebody and to say, yep, perfect is not a thing. Yep. And as long as you're trying, you know, like, you know, when we when we grew from like eight to 10 to 12 to 16, whatever, you know, I had to tell my team, like, look, I'm not an expert at this stuff. Yeah, totally. You know, and, uh, you know, I know that you need these things for me and I'm trying to learn. But I want you to understand that just like you learning, you know, your design skills, I'm trying to learn how to be a leader. And I think that, you know, management has to communicate with the rest rest of the team. It doesn't matter how big your your company is. But and I think people have to be included, too, like. Yes, you said earlier, like, yeah, ultimately owners uh, or, you know, sometimes heads of big departments are the ultimate, you know, decision maker. But it's better sometimes when you leverage your team to help you create that vision. You know, at least they'll get behind Mm -hmm. it better. And then, you know what, sometimes, and this is also hard for me, you have to know when to say, you know what, I'm making a final decision on this. I've I've heard what you said, I'm making a decision. And that's something that you've been helping me with because, you know... You can't always, there's no way you're going to please everyone. That's right. And it is hard to say that because it relies on a lot of trust, right? For you to say, thanks everybody for your contributions. I'm going to go away now and think about this and come back with a final decision to move forward. In order to be able to say that, you need to feel like everybody is not going to flip a table, Uh (laughs) depending on if they get their way or not. So their trust that, all right, I might not agree with him this time, but I do think he's fair and I do think he listens to opinions and he's not political, you know, like all those sorts of things. It relies on that trust. And that's why trust building is, it's like self-care, you know, it's like you don't realize you need it until you're really in a hole. And Mm -hmm. so like practice of trust building and trust exercises with the team all along the way, even in micro movements is really important for the times when you do need to make a tough call or um, an unpopular decision. Let's dig in a little bit deeper. Leadership, management, ownership. Is it the right path for everyone? How do you coach people in navigating those, those questions? Well, the great thing about humans is that they actually have so much more data to work from than they think. So if I'm talking to somebody who's wondering about moving out of an IC individual contributor role, I might ask, okay, tell me about the other times that you ever led anything, right? Or, or were responsible for other humans. And it's, it's not like a black mark if, if somebody doesn't have those experiences, but rather if somebody's telling me things like, hmm, okay, well, you know, I really loved being a camp counselor in the summers. Uh, I was an RA in college. Um, I, you know, I was a a coach for 
uh, or, or like a tutor, you know, for other people in the writing center. Oh, you know, when I was studying comp sci, I actually was a TA for a class. Like those tiny opportunities where nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying, go be an RA, right? Yep. <laughs> like there is some internal motivation that's pushing you to seek those opportunities where like it or not, you're a little bit in charge and maybe you're practicing mentorship. And if there is a, any evidence of that, and again, some of this is going back you know, a long time, like to high school even or middle school mm-hmm. in some yep. cases. If you're seeing a human's path that has been dotted by those sorts of experience, then I think that's like not a huge leap to imagine that that person would be really fulfilled by a management experience. Again, I say that with the caveat that some companies are you know, really dysfunctional with regard to their power structures. So make sure the company you're choosing is, is like the right culture for you to manage also. But I think all that, those little anecdotes that feel like they were not valid enough to put on LinkedIn, I really think that tells you the kind of person that you have in front Mm -hmm. of you. Now, again, if you're a person that never had any of those experiences, that doesn't mean that you should move into management. It's just kind of like, then you start to ask more deeper questions. Like, do you like teaching? Right. Do you what, what, tell me about the times that you've spent leading in a team or being the big brother, or big sister on a team that people come to you for, with questions? What do you like about that? Right. And asking underneath what's going on, because really underneath what you want to say is, what are you hungry for? Are you hungry to empower other people? Are you hungry to get really, really, really good at something? And when you can identify that hunger and then apply it to the situation at hand, then I think you really start to get somewhere. And what I think is a strength of some companies is the ability to give people almost like a practice experience with management. Mm -hmm. So to have somebody manage an intern for a summer, or you all have apprenticeships, right? To have an apprentice kind of under their wing for a little while, because I had, I definitely had that experience in-house where somebody was talking about really wanting to move into management, got him an intern for the summer. By the end of the summer, he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I was like, great. I'm so glad we didn't like send you off in a new direction in your career and totally change everything for you. Um, It it was really good for him to practice that. And then now, of course, like 10 years later, I think he is managing and very happy with it, but just wasn't the right season for him to move into that at that point. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I don't know if this is going to work out, but one of the things that we decided that we would do, we implemented this quarter was we wanted to make sure that there was a culture of mentorship uh, across the entire company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from the stuff that we do together to the way the leadership team works to, you know, all all the roles. So everyone mentors someone, you know, like, for example, mm. our, our, our directors mentor our leads, our leads mentor our designers, our designers mentor our apprentices. And the, the spectrum is different, right? Because like a designer mentoring an apprentice is not about like career mentorship. It's about how to be a better designer, right? And same with like design lead to designer. But from design, from director to lead, it's more about starting to build those, those, those leadership and management skills. And so we'll see, we'll see how that works out. But basic, basically everyone on our team right now has a formal mentorship requirement. What I think is great about that, Anthony actually has nothing to do with mentorship. What I think is great is that you're experimenting. And that's another thing I would really encourage uh, anybody listening to think about is Give yourself permission to experiment, right? Try saying, you know what? We're going to try this quarter. We're going to do an experiment and try a mentorship situation where everybody gets mentored. And then have the sense of humor at the end of the quarter to sit back in a room and say, well, how'd that go, guys? 
And, you know, see if people were like, what a train wreck, worst idea ever. You have not sold the reputation of the company down the river. You rather came at it from an innovative sort of, you know, iterative process of culture, and you allowed that to fail while learning something about it. And that's really very bold as a culture. And I think organizations as a whole could learn a lot from that. But even if you're not in charge of your whole organization, you can just do that on your team. You can say, hey, you know what, I've realized that we are all having some low morale lately because of the long days and late nights. So what we're going to experiment with is Fridays, we're going to leave at three for the next month, right? And be that manager and and give that decree and practice that and see how that goes for them or, you know, invent lots of other things. I always am telling people in my calls, as you well know, like, oh, life is a giant science experiment. Why don't you try that for a while yeah. and then reflect on it and see what they think. And it really shows that you're very open to collaboration, too. Well, hey, Jen, there's 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 like three more big things we want to I want to like get into here. And I know you have limited time. So if you, if you don't mind, Do I wanted to talk about, you know, a discussion point that you raised, which is the uh, concept of how companies take on the traits of their leadership. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. So why don't you unpack that a little bit? So that came up, Anthony and I were talking for a quick second about uh, sometimes I do something called an employee experience audit, which means that I talk to a number of members of a team or a company, and I'm listening in confidential conversations for patterns. I'm trying to hear is the same phrase coming up is the same weakness coming up is the same strength coming up. And then I put together a document at the end of that uh, for a short, medium and long term talent strategy for that team or company. And one of the things that I notice is that quite often, the strengths of a team or company and the weaknesses or dysfunctions are a real mimic of, or an echo maybe, of whoever is leading it. So if you've got a risk averse CEO, for example, someone who's very nervous about changing anything up, then that is going to trickle down into the culture. And people are going to be really nervous about stepping off of what the plan is, Mm. capital T, capital P, right? If you've got a more sort of whimsical and like totally like who cares about anything sort of CEO, then you're going to have a company that is, you know, pretty uh, fuzzy in a lot of ways and maybe not so tightened up in their accounting or not so not so intentional about all of their decisions because, hey, guys, it's about having fun, right? It's that sort of thing. And the thing is, I, I don't know, my gut tells me that we all just want to be seen as doing well. And we, we want to feel like we're doing a good job. And we want to hear from the person we report to, hey, you're doing a really good job with that. And if that all rolls up to one person, then yeah, whatever that person is commending, or saying that's, you know, that's not so good, they're going to be, you know, that's what's going to set set that trickle down effect going. And I, I can definitely yeah. see it. It's like, I don't, I don't like to use the metaphor of families so often because it's a little triggering for a lot of people. But uh, I what I will say is it's similar that if you see a family going through a divorce, right, and the, the effects it has on all the different family members, that's the same if you've got partners running a company and there's friction there, right? Every, mm-hmm. Nobody's sure, like, yeah. what team am I on? Is it okay to say that? Do we not mention that because so-and-so's here? Like, those sorts of things. And so at the highest levels, the best advice I can give is to make sure that you have your shit together, <laughs> like... Take do self care, see a therapist as needed, have a coach if that's your thing, like, make sure that you are trying to bring your healthiest, most positive, but real self to the job, because the company is going to mimic 
the way you are. Uh-huh. Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Does that resonate at all yeah. with you? Have you ever had a moment where that echoes for you? I, I think so. Like, I mean, if I just have to be really honest, you know, I think I can see some of the traits that I have that aren't the traits that I like the most. Sometimes I can see, you know, maybe, maybe people working that way. And, you know, and so one of those traits that I don't like is some, you know, some, I'm, I, is that I, I have a really hard time with conflict. Mm. And, you know, yeah. but I don't, I don't, That's a good example. I, yeah, I have a really hard time with conflict. So it's really hard for me to deliver it. I do it, but it's really difficult for me to deliver tough conversations, but I try to balance it out. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope that I'm not setting a bad example, but also at this, at this point in time, like our design directors are working more with our people on a day-to-day basis with their work. So mm-hmm. I have, I have kind of become more high level, like wh- where, where do you want to be? in three years kind of thing? Like, is it at fun size or is it at, you know, what's your dream job kind of conversations? Mm-hmm. You know, what's funny is that the meta version of this for me, of course, is now as of this year, I have my first employee, right? And uh-huh. so I can see this across all these companies I do work with. And then I'm like, oh God, what's going on at Plucky? That is because of something that I'm not good at, you know? And uh-huh. uh, yeah. as a personality, I get really excited about like everything. And I, I want to, like any, you know, sky's the limit. I want to talk about anything. I could really meet any human. I'd be so curious about them. And I can, I started working with a marketing consultant a couple months ago. And I can tell that like, when I first had to just tell him what Plucky is as a company, like, you know, the conversation was like three hours long. And I was like, Oh, God, I, I probably need to focus a bit here in terms of product offering and even, you know, client offering that I'm doing, because Plucky definitely did take that sort of liberal arts we do everything approach because that's very much my personality. So I say all this lovingly, right? It's like, I'm, I'm totally in this boat too. Yeah. You know, you and I are about to have our coaching sessions pop back up. So I'm, yeah. uh, I'm really curious to, you know, have other conversations and learn and talk more about what's going on with Hear Plucky. About it. Yeah, totally. All right. So let's see. One of the things that we've t- kind of tiptoed around today uh, but that is also like really important to me is employee experience. Because, you know, to be able to do great things, you need people that have trust. And, you you know, there's lots of different ways to build trust. We've talked about some of this stuff. People are our most important a- assets. And I've always have, I've had a very, you know, rigid, like strong approach to employee experience, even though I may not know how to do it the best. I've, uh, like, it's something that I've, like, I've, I've always been trying to champion. What, what are your thoughts on how uh, companies or teams, how should they be thinking about employee experience? Like, what does an employee experience program really look like? What, you know, like, what does it take to truly do it? And, and what are some of the best uh, outcomes you've seen with teams that really do make employee experience a top priority? Such a good nut to crack. Well, one thing that comes to mind, first of all, is that a lot of the leaders that I work with, um, it's been quite a while since they were an employee of someone, (laughs) you know, like it's been a long time since they've had a boss, uh, or since they've had practice not being the leader. And so I generally think it's a really good practice of leadership to make sure there's, I don't know, on, let's just say on an annual basis, an opportunity for you to be a student of something. Mm. So whether that is a specific class or again, maybe that's um, some sort of fitness thing, like maybe you're into yoga or you go to CrossFit or, you know, whatever that is, because even this is like such a micro example, but I really think it illustrates it. 
I had somebody tell me that because they, I don't know what kind of classroom they were in. I think it was just like a seminar or something they went to, but they couldn't hear from the back of the room. And because there was like air conditioning going and they just totally forgot because they're mostly in the front of the room speaking at people that sometimes the experience of the listener in the room is completely messed up by something they had no control over. And so then when they started speaking at conferences again, they would make sure, you know, to spend one of the sessions listening from the back row just to get a sense for what, um, what their talk could be like in that room. And I think that's like a perfect metaphor that you're going to... You know, you wouldn't design a product if you didn't talk to any of the users, right? So don't design a company if you don't talk to any of the employees about what they're looking for and what they're thinking about. I think that's a big win for leaders is to have that experience of not holding the talking stick all the time in a room and, and being a student of something. I equally think that you should have a person who really loves people run that operation. (laughs) You know, like I think HR, ugh. HR gets a bad rap, but HR is also kind of a mess. And they are, you know, the the industry has a poor reputation because, yeah, it's seen as like, go to HR. They're going to, they have no soul and they're not going to talk to you as a human. They're going to talk to you as a resource. And- Why? Because uh, the maybe some some people have the company's best interest in mind or is that... Yeah, I think I think definitely, you know, HR as an industry probably needs to reclaim its title if they want to shift the perception. But definitely, that's the quick joke, right? Like, oh, HR is gonna cover the company's ass, not yours, right? Like, they're gonna protect the company from being sued. That is unfortunately the reputation they have. I think we're getting out of it a little bit because we're naming things differently. So now we have people operations or director of people or chief people officer and these sorts of things. And so they're trying to sort of spin it in a more friendly reclaiming way, which is more about employee experience. But, you know, by and large, HR is not necessarily the person you want to go to when you're just feeling some imposter syndrome. You they're who you're going to for sexual harassment, you know, and they, unfortunately, that concept has really gotten degraded at this point. And so I think um, HR as a personality type is not maybe the most warm and fuzzy that we might assume. So therefore, if you are a leader, and you're able to name the person in charge of employee experience or people operations, try to choose someone who's going to bring a personality to that, that that makes sense, right? Make Give them a downhill battle, choose somebody that really loves people so much, and has healthy, healthy boundaries, and is pretty self aware to head that stuff up, because you're already going to be like way beyond another company who has chosen somebody who, you know, is a part time bookkeeper, and really, really enjoys spreadsheets. Oh, shoot. And also now they have to coach people like that's weird, you know, like make a good choice about who's going to head that program up because they will their empathy will be strong, and they'll have a heavy EQ. I don't want to throw shade on any accountants, by the way, or (laughs) HR people or anybody else in this conversation. I just think that sometimes you have different personalities and it's important to pay attention to who you're having empower the people. Make sure that's a voice they want to listen to. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Just a a quick note. I was actually getting a demo today from one of the engineers at a company called Lattice. Have you heard of this uh, software? Mm -mm. Uh, I, I saw a billboard the last time I was in San Francisco and it said something like, do awesome things for your people. So I was like, okay, I got to check this out. So totally. I got a, I got a demo today, and I'm, I don't know this world all that well, but this tool is the first tool software that I've seen where it's an all-in-one sort of employee experience solution. So really, like, lattice. On, okay, I'm gonna look them up. Yeah, it's it looks really cool. It's like onboarding, leadership, vision creation, and then creating goals on that, assigning goals to disciplines and people. 
and it's got all this peer reviews, 360 reviews, people analytics, surveys, like Whoa. everything that you would ever like hope and dream to have. And it seems to have it seems to have most all of it in one place. Um, I'm, this isn't a promo promo to them, and they're not a sponsor anyway. But I just want to uh, call them out because I think like you know for people that are that really care about this stuff, this seems like a great tool to look into. I think that's smart to even just mention the word tool, because I think a lot about that too. Obviously, there's a lot of different pieces of software out there trying to, you know, help people know people and to, you know, I I have a product that's a pack of cards to help people have one-on-one conversations better. And I think if you are the kind of leader or manager who is researching tools to do your job better, that is an amazing thing to be conveying to anybody that reports to you or um, the employees who are around you, because it means that you haven't decided that you know everything. You know, it means that you're a person who's open to learning and open to thinking about um, new, again, tools, to use that word, that you want to fold into this operation. And that's just like, I don't know, that's a good vibe if you're a leader. Yeah, awesome. So I was uh, reading an article of yours the other day. I, I It's still open in my browser. I haven't had a chance to finish it. But um, kind of related to this, it was about gardening your team. I was wondering if you, <laughs> if you, if you have some tips that you want to share about people that are trying to grow the people. Sure. Well, I wrote that article because, I, so I live in Berkeley in the Bay Area. Nobody has any square footage. Everything is really tiny. And I have a small two bedroom with two sons and almost no yard. I just have this micro yard in in our front area. And um, I've wanted to grow a garden for a while. And so this year we got some pots, like, you know, standing pots and whatnot. And so we said, all right, let's do a container garden. So we did tomatoes and strawberries and cucumbers and then some herbs and stuff. And that for what it's worth, has been a really good self-care practice where in between sometimes heavy coaching calls, I go outside and just water them or check on them or weed them. And the whole time, probably because this is what I do every day for my work, the whole time I'm looking at these things thinking, oh man, look at those two tomatoes. They're growing really close to each other. Like they are affecting each other's shape as they grow, right? This one's getting flat right here because that one's pressing against it. And then the strawberries and how the strawberries are like, you know, trying to make new daughter plants all over the place, but then not producing fruit because it's spending its energy to make like all these new projects basically. And anyway, the metaphor was so strong. I wrote this whole piece about (laughs) it, right? Because it was, it was fun to think about, you know, I mean, we are after all like a species and, and I think that walking around in nature makes me think a lot about organizations and structures. And that garden piece was a, a good representation of, of where my brain was at with all that. I have to finish that then. Yeah. That's that's so crazy. Like it's uh, I have two people that um, I hired for the same role and I they worked together for quite a while and what emerged was an entire new discipline for our company. Yeah. We'll see and and yeah, totally. I think you follow the lead of the brilliant people that you hire also. Make sure it's in the company's vision, but they're going to bring such good flourish to to what's already there. So, what does your future look like? What's next on the agenda for Jen Dairy and and Plucky? I think I'm trying to tackle the whole new manager experience. I think that is, again, sort of to echo what we were saying earlier, I think that's the focus of where my next few years will be. I run this So Now You're a Manager four times a year at this point, and I go to all different cities to do it because I feel really strongly that Plucky is not a company that only serves the Bay Area and New York, but 
there are new managers in many, many places. And so I, I try to identify cities that, you know, either have childcare for my kids, hardy har, but real fact, or has, um, you know, event space that they'll trade me for tickets or, or whatnot. But I really try to diversify that. And what I'm currently trying to figure out is what, does that alumni community of that program need after the fact? Mm. So we spend two very amazing days together. It's really great. The peer networks that come out of that are so strong and people really like each other and they have somebody to ping every once in a while be like, Oh dude, have you ever handled this situation? And the Slack channel has a lot of good thoughts and, you know, I sort of curate that and put challenges in there every other Friday to them. And, and and now I'm trying to figure out where we go with that. There's a million different directions. I'm going to be actually taking a little bit of a different year next year because I got into a program to write a book. We haven't talked about this at all in this podcast, but you know that I was sick a couple years ago. I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and uh, I'm okay now, but I have a memoir in me to write about that experience. And so I have gotten into a writing program. So starting in February, I will be working on a book. And uh, it doesn't mean a lot for Plucky other than I'm going to cut down on the travel that isn't for the so now your manager stuff. I just won't do a ton of travel next year so that I can get a good rhythm. Yeah. And I've got a couple follow-up products coming out after the one-on-one starter pack. I'll have a stuff that tools that are going to be really good for managers with regard to their peers and then even some swag at some point. So everything is so exciting. Like even just having this conversation, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is my company. I'm like so (laughs) excited that it exists. And there's like, you know, so much, um, I don't know, so many paths in the future. And I'm really, I'm really glad to be around for it. That's awesome. So everyone, please check out plucky. It's beplucky.com. Look into the, uh, awesome resources that she has available. And also uh, take a look at the So Now Your Manager conference. Maybe I can convince you to do one in Austin. Fun size will donate the space. Uh, we have a lot of listeners in Austin. So those of you that are listening that you know think you might want to attend one in Austin, let me know and maybe I can beg Jen to come down here. We also have child care for you. Uh, well, we'd have that solved. You wouldn't have to pay for it. We have a solution. Oh my God! Look so, at this networking conversation we are having right now. Well, I selfishly want to want you to do it because I want to send as many people as I can to yeah. the event, and I really want everyone to go or a lot of people to go. But uh, yeah. if I can convince you to come here, it'd be a lot, be a lot easier. So maybe I will maybe. tell you, Austin's on the short list for sure. That has right. a lot of people have mentioned that before. So let's talk. Okay, let's do it. Awesome, Jen. How how else can people connect with you um, other than you know contacting you through your website? Yeah. So Twitter, I, I'm sure Anthony can drop some of the links. There's a per, my personal Twitter is Jennifer Derry. Um, B Plucky is Plucky's Twitter. And then on Instagram, B Pluckster. Somebody already had B Plucky. So B Pluckster. I just, I post a lot of stuff on there for Plucky itself, but I also think that's the, through the lens of a woman entrepreneur who is two days a week home with her kids. So sometimes I'm literally writing state of the unions while my kids at gymnastics class or whatever. And that's just real. So um, that's a good way. And then the, um, of course the traditional Facebook, LinkedIn, or just send me an email. Hello at beplucky.com. I always love hearing from people. Awesome. Thanks for awesome. Uh, making time out of your schedule to hop on the show. And I know we've been trying to do this for a while, so I really appreciate it. Yeah. Everyone. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at FunSize.co. I'm Paige, a product designer at FunSize. Namaste.